All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Some days, I don't know what day it is. I woke up yesterday thinking I needed to record the show. Woke up today thinking I did need to record the show. Turns out I do need to record the show, so here we are. And I can't say that my mood is much better than it was on Monday or Sunday or Saturday night. I'm, I'm like you, I'm not happy. And we got to move forward. And the, the unfortunate thing is you and I don't play in the game, so we can, you know, we can moan a little bit longer than perhaps the team can. But uh, team back on the practice field on uh, Tuesday, Monday, their mandatory day off. Mike Leach told us on Monday that uh, he thought Sunday was, was good. You know, the reality of it is, is that this is a bad loss. Now, this is not a situation where you say, hey, you can't let Kentucky beat you twice. Alabama doesn't need any help beating Mississippi State. We're going to kind of break that down today. I'm not going to sit here and have a pity party for you, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, don't, I do not have good feelings about the weekend, nor should we, right? 
We missed a golden opportunity last week, and now we've got Alabama. Then we'll have the bye week. So this malaise will likely continue on social media and the message boards here until we you know, play another home game, get a chance to play Auburn. And the way they ran the football last weekend, that's far from a sure thing. They have not played well. It's far from a sure thing. And so we can't afford to take anybody lightly, certainly not Alabama. You know, there's been one team that's had our number over the years. It's been Alabama. That's why you remember those wins so maybe distinctly is because they don't come that often. It's a reality of life. It's hard for me to believe we have not beaten Alabama since the Sylvester Crew mayor. Alabama, the only team in the Southeastern Conference, Dan Mullen never won a game against as the head coach at Mississippi State. Nearly pulled it off at Florida as the head coach there. But that's the one team that's had his number. And it doesn't matter if we had Joe Moorhead or Mike Leach. We have not had success against the Crimson Tide. So I'm not going to sit here and bemoan the point, but we're going to be very honest about every bit of that. I'd love to sit here and tell you, man, I think State's you know, ripe for an upset. No, I don't believe that at all. I, I don't. Now, do I think that we'll come out there and bring our best effort? Yeah, I think we will. But I think the talent differential between the two teams is just so expensive that there's only so much scheming you can do. We're going to need their help to keep this game close. That's just a reality of life. I'm just going to just sell it out there for you. I'd love to be able to say, you know what? I'm hearing some things. No, no, none of that. None of that. None of that. We'd love to be able to come back here on uh, – uh, goodness, if we win Saturday, I may do the show Sunday. You know, I may just come on home and do it Saturday night. But you just don't expect it. And that's the thing that I think frustrates most Mississippi State fans the most, to be quite honest with you, is that we have one or two weeks on the schedule every year that we go into it and we think, well, that's a sure loss. Right? I mean, it wasn't always that way. You know, we went to Tuscaloosa in 2014, ranked as the number one team in the country against Alabama, one of the few wins over a number one team that Alabama's had in their history. We expected to win the game. And even when we got down at halftime, we started coming back. You know, one of Dak's worst games in a uniform, had a couple of big picks in the ball game. We had some big drops early on. I remember Robert Johnson and Jamie Ann Lewis both dropping big passes in that first quarter that could have uh, sustained drives. But we expected to win. 2015, we, maybe we didn't expect to win, but we thought it'd be a competitive game. You know, we've had some games over the years that we thought we'd at least hang with Bama. In recent years, we haven't had that feeling, and that's where I think a lot of Bulldog fan frustration kind of stems from. We, we can beat Arkansas. We can beat Texas A&M. We can beat Kentucky. We didn't last week. We should have. We didn't, you know. But against the upper echelon teams in this conference, it doesn't feel like we're gaining ground. So weeks like these are more endured than they are enjoyed. Because you look at it, you say, you know what, we lost last week, we're going to lose this week, then we're going to be off next week. It's going to be negative, it's going to be miserable, we're not going to have anything to feel good about. Basically, all we can do is kind of root against some of our SEC West brethren, hoping they lose and maybe improve our standing in the pecking order when it gets time for a bowl game. I just want more for Mississippi State. I do, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't think that we would contend for the West this year. I didn't. I think I was pretty open with you guys. I thought it would be an eight and four year. That's what I thought. I still think that. Now we have no margin for error. But I look forward to a day when we look at the schedule and it's like, hey, we get Alabama at our place. We got a chance to win the West. It's been a while since we felt that way.
that needs to change. I think we all see it the same way. And like I, I see people all the time, Steve, what would you do differently? Well, I'm not a football coach, right? So Steve Robertson, the podcaster, the former furniture retailer, the long-haired, tattooed freak of nature, has got no business calling plays at a college football game. I understand my strengths and my weaknesses. So what I would do differently probably would, ma- would fail miserably. You know, Mike Leach is not coming to me asking me, hey, Steve, you know, let me get some tattoo advice. Right? I could probably advise him in that. You know, Mike, probably not much he could tell me about tattoos or, or heavy metal music or anything like that. But the one thing that I would do different, above all things, if I was involved at all, is I'd let my football coach coach. These are the expectations. Here's your salary. Here's your budget. Go get it done. That's what I do differently. We get caught up sometimes like, well, our play calling here. You don't know what play was called. We don't. We don't know if the play was changed at the line. We don't know if perhaps a team disguised their coverages or changed things up. We don't know. We talk about the, well, you know, our play calling. Well, you don't know. I mean, it's become one of those things. It's kind of a catchphrase these days. There have been some times in my life, though, I'll tell you, it's like, you know, you, you got a big down and distance coming up and you think, hey, it's a big third down. We got to find a way to move the chains here. And I'll scratch my head, and I'm thinking, that was our play call? I mean, come on, that was it? I get it. But the bottom line is we all want the same thing, and that's for Mississippi State to win and win big, win consistently, and have a chance to compete for championships. That's what we want. Whether we agree with who's calling the plays, whether we agree with, uh, who, you know, who's filling out the lineup, in every sport, that's what we want. And when we don't get it, we're very vocal about it. And, and I, I share this, too, and I, I think I said this on the show. I know I said it probably with some friends. You know, when things were going good, and, and, and listen, we're 5-2 and two and nationally ranked, right? I mean, come on. I mean, let's, let's kind of frame that up in its proper context. But I said, hey, let's, let's don't run out here and start calling people out. Saying, you know, hey, you were so negative before the season. Look at us now. We're 5-1. and one rank well within the top 20. And one of the reasons I don't think you call people out is because, number one, we're family, right? I think we can just kind of quietly be a little smug about that, right? There's no need to call people out because, like all things good and bad in life, this too shall pass. And that's what happened last week. It passed. We lost a game we shouldn't. And then all of a sudden you have these Mike Leach attractors that come out. Now, granted – Three weeks in a row, people were happy letting Leach do things his way. Like, hey, long as we're winning, I don't have any criticisms or critiques to share. But we lose, and all of a sudden, Mike Leach is stubborn, that kind of stuff. You know, and so there's going to be some ebb and flow with all that. And so I think it's, it's never good to just call people out anyway, especially people that, you know, you're supposed to care about. We're all committed to the same cause. And so good, bad, or indifferent – I think it's best for everybody to share their opinions, respect each other's opinions. You know, I, I don't go around on our website, which is the biggest Mississippi State website in the world, right? I don't go over there and delete people's posts because they disagree with me. Sometimes I'm wrong. And I, I open the door for that. You know, if, if I have a bad take and somebody tells me that's a bad take, oh, that's fine. That, that's like your opinion, dude. That's cool. I just don't see it that way. But the thing that I would offer is that, you know, we got to allow room for everybody to be 
everybody, right? That's a big part of things in life. I think it's just, you know what, let's, it is okay to allow dissenting opinions. And that's what social media has kind of done to us. It's kind of taught that maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, if you don't agree with me, you must be a bad person. I believe that every person, in the sound of my voice and beyond, that has a cowbell on the mantle and perhaps a maroon, you know, sweatshirt hanging in the, uh, in the closet, I believe that those people are my family, even if I don't agree with everything. They say, I got some, I got some friends of mine that love Mississippi state. They're some of the most negative people that I know when it comes to Mississippi state. And it's like, well, we're going to lose. And it's like, uh, that is what they want to come out and say, I told you so. I get it. I, I just don't find any happiness when we lose. Like, I don't want to, I don't ever get on here and say, I told you guys we're going to lose. It's not about me. It's about Mississippi State. I want Mississippi State to do well. I know you guys do as well. So let's just kind of hang in here together and let's kind of navigate through these next couple of weeks. And perhaps we've got something else to cheer about here in the month of November. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Always something to cheer about there. Because win or lose, Bulldog Burger Company is going to come through for you. It doesn't matter what the Bulldogs do on the field. Bulldog Burger Company is going to make sure you get Great nourishment at a great price and a great atmosphere. There's so many things on that menu I like. And there are some places that I go and I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, this is what I'm craving, so I'm going to go here. Sometimes I just want to go to Bulldog Burger Company for the experience. I'm not even exactly sure what I'm going to get when I get there. Because a lot of times I'll go in thinking, okay, I'm going to have that pimentology add bacon. And then I'll see somebody else's food being delivered. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, maybe I need to get that sweet heat chicken sandwich today. Or maybe I need to get the Sloppy Joe sliders. And that's the thing, you can, you can never go wrong at Bulldog Burger Company. I love that BLT salad. I've told you guys before, perhaps my favorite salad in the history of my life is that BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. I'm trying to watch carbs a little bit as best I can. Keep my, uh, my girlish figure. But uh, three great locations to serve. You go by and check them out today. University Drive here in Start Vegas. And, of course, that new patio area there. you got to go check that out next time you're in town, if you hadn't already. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, what a fine location that is. And the newest one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. Maybe get that chocolate shake to go. Get the full Bulldog Burger Company experience. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. As painful as it is, let's look back at our history against the University of Alabama. Now, we have played, if memory serves me correct, I haven't done this research in a couple of years, but if memory serves me correct, we have played Alabama more than anybody in the Southeastern Conference. And maybe it's because of geography back in the days. It was a short bus ride over. Maybe the players drove themselves. I don't know. But we have played them a lot, an awful lot. Alabama leads the series 84-18-3. Mississippi State wins less than 20% of the time. Alabama currently on a 14-game winning streak after State put together a two-game winning streak in 2006-2007. Say whatever you want to about Sylvester Croom. Uh, things didn't end the way we wanted to, but Sylvester Croom, a fine man, and he always had us up to play that game, even when we were outgunned and outmanned and outtalented and outcoached. We were always up to play Alabama. And kind of the same with Jackie Sherrill, too, and I think maybe those – 
former Alabama players, they, they, they kind of get everybody up to play the mystique of the Crimson Tide. We have not matched that intensity in recent years, but uh, this series goes all the way back to 1896. Now, it, we did not score a point in our first three meetings against the University of Alabama. Were you aware of that? Maybe you weren't. Now you are. We lose 20 to nothing, 45 to nothing, 27 to nothing. We get our first win against the Crimson Tide in Columbus, 11 to nothing. 11 to nothing in 1903. We nearly pull off that feat the next year, also in Columbus, but we lose 10 to 5 in that ball game. And then that, that began a three-game winning streak for Alabama. They win the next year in Tuscaloosa. Then they beat us in Starkville. We played in Starkville for the very first time in 1906. And one of the oddest scores you'll ever see, Alabama beats us 16 to 4. We had two safeties in the game, 16 to 4. The next year we tie back in Columbus. Maybe we should move the game back to Columbus. We tie 6 to 6. The next year we play in the great city of Aberdeen, Mississippi, and we win 7 0. And this begins a three game winning streak for Mississippi State in a series. From 12, 13, and 14, State wins in Aberdeen, in Birmingham, and Birmingham. And you know what else? We shut them out all three times. 7-0, 7-0, 9-0. And then things changed. 1919 sparks this uh, really, really, really big winning streak for Alabama. And this is when they really began to get a little separation from us in the series and also as a program. They went in 19 and 20. They tied 21. They blow us out 59 to nothing in 1922. They eke by in 25-6-0. In 26, they went again in 27-28. Guys, we didn't score from 1928 through 1934. Let that sink in for a second. That's a five-game winning streak for Alabama. The closest of those games was an 18-0 contest in 1933. And then miraculously, in 1935, Mississippi State wins 20-7. 1936 and 39, Alabama wins again. And then it's a two-game winning streak for State. The days of Alan McKean are here. State wins 13-0. And believe it or not, laying here on my desk, I actually have some video highlights that one day I'll post. One of, uh, one of our great alumni families sent that to me. I think it was Tut's family that sent it to me. But I have, I have three DVDs here of live footage from those games in the early 40s. And I need to just do something with it and maybe put it out on Gene's page for you guys to enjoy it. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe this isn't a week to do that. But at some point, I'll do that for you guys. I think it's important. That may be fun to watch that. And it's, and it's not a lot, but it's still pretty cool to see it all. So I have that. If you're interested in that, let me know. And uh, I'll put it together. I'll put a little video package together. We'll put it over on Gene's page and we'll do it for free. How about that? But in 41, Mississippi State, of course, uh, should have been the NAFL champions. Alabama claims that NAFL championship. We beat Alabama that year, 14-0. I believe we should claim it. I don't care who voted for us. I don't care who didn't vote for us. Mississippi State was treated like a redheaded stepchild back in those days by the, by the league and by the SEC media. I think we should just go ahead and arbitrarily claim that because we beat them on the field. They claim an NAFL championship. That one's ours. I appreciate those that acknowledge that. After that, after that Alan McKean, that great, great team of 41, the last to win the SEC championship for Mississippi State, we did not win again until 1954. 
So 42, 44, 45, 46, 48. 48 was competitive, 10-7. 49, 50, 51, 52. And then we tied in 53. And then we went in 54 and then again in 55. And those two games were in Tuscaloosa. How about that? And what's amazing, too, we talk about that long losing streak, just about every one of those games in Tuscaloosa. State and uh, Old Miss and Alabama didn't play, and we always had to go to Tuscaloosa. Interesting how that all works out, right? Again, Mississippi State was treated like a redheaded stepchild by the Southeastern Conference. Period. I could go back, and I wrote about this when I wrote uh, Alpha Dogs. State won the SEC and then didn't get selected by the SEC to go to play in the NCAA tournament. I believe it was Alabama and Georgia that went. And Mississippi State wins the SEC, and then we don't go. It's crazy. It's amazing. And you wonder why some of our long-standing fans have these feelings of impending doom, and they always think it's a conspiracy, right? You wonder why? That's why. They lived through all that when Mississippi State was so incredibly disrespected by its own league. There are all these people, too, that say, oh, you know, Mississippi State doesn't travel. That wasn't true. The very first time that we played Ole Miss in Jackson, I believe it was 1905, every student at Mississippi State went to the game. Every student went to the game. Again, I could go on about that. But uh, the reality of it is is that uh, Alabama owned the series for a while there. And then, of course, uh, you know, State wins back-to-back years in the 50s. And then we get uh, – we trade wins with them again in Tuscaloosa, 56-57. And then, again, they reel off another in- incredible winning streak here. They beat us 9-7 in 58. And we don't score for the next four years. We don't win again until 1980, November 1st, 1980. It's an incredible losing streak for State. And at this point, State and Alabama were played every single year. It wasn't just kind of every once in a while. We played Alabama every single year. Other people didn't play them. We played them. And we lost to them. And most years, those games were not competitive. And in 1980, John Bond, a freshman with one of the best defenses in Mississippi State history, beat number one, Alabama, I believe it won two consecutive NAFL championships. If memory serves me correct, they had like a 27-game winning streak, something like that, something ridiculous. And State wins the game. I was there. First college game I ever attended. My dad brought me to the game, me and my brother. Truth of the matter is, he probably should have won by more than we did. One of the biggest plays in the ball game everybody talks about is Alabama blocked the field goal and Dana Moore covers the field goal. But we win 6-3. The shining moment of Mississippi State's football program. And it's been too long. It's been 42 years, guys. We've had some big moments since then, but nothing quite as big. The next year, we nearly pull it off again over in Tuscaloosa. We lose 13-10. Then we lose 20-12. And then again, this puts together, again, a long winning streak for Alabama that went into the 90s. So from 1981 to 1995, Alabama wins every game. Now, that 94 game in Starkville, one of the greatest games that Mississippi State ever lost. That's the Eric Moulds game, right? You've seen that, that picture of Eric skying over defenders. Derek Tate had a big game. State wins. State loses 29-25, should have won the game. We had every opportunity to put that game away. We didn't. All right, Jackie Sherrill in 1996, coaching for his job, 
wins the last two games. We beat Alabama, which ultimately sent LSU to Atlanta, if memory serves me correct. We went 17-16. Gene Stallings quit shortly after this. Alabama was struggling a little bit at the time. They'd won an Apple championship a couple years earlier. Expected to uh, expected to go back to Atlanta and do some good things, but there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes about Gene Stallings and kind of about you know the legacy of Alabama. We need to do this. We need to do that. So there, there were some donors that were kind of in the way back then, and Stallings quit. But Jackie wins that game, wins the Egg Bowl, and uh, f- saved his job. Let's just be honest about it. In the 97, 98, 99, 2000, some of the greatest years in state football history. In 1997, State goes over to Tuscaloosa and wins 32-20. to And the game really wasn't that competitive. In 98, they come back to Starville. The year that State wins the West, J.J. Johnson ran all over them, 26-14. 1999. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. It's been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. And then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. You talk about big games. Mississippi State was undefeated. A lot of people didn't believe in us because we didn't play Florida and Georgia that year. Alabama was great. Sean Alexander was part of that team. And we lose 19-7. We had some chances in the game, but late in that ball game, I believe it was Shamari Buchanan from Alabama. They had been throwing the bubble all night and have been setting up this big play and they pump the bubble and Buchanan slips out and makes touchdown to put the ball game away. And they win 19-7. We were all, we were a play away until that happened. In 2000, we get even. We won 29-7. In the next four or five years, excuse me, Alabama wins the next five. 2006, we're into the Sylvester Croom era here. And ironically, Alabama vacated the 05 game, too, so maybe you could make the argument that Sylvester Croom uh, had an even better record against Alabama. But in 06, we, uh, we go over to Tuscaloosa. We stop John Parker Wilson at the one, and this is like in the infancy of replay, right? We stop him at the one. They replay it, and I think everybody 
and maybe it's because of our grandparents and our parents that had lived through this for so long. I think everybody expected replay to come back and say he got in. They they didn't, and we sprint off the field. Sylvester Croom fist in air, and we end up winning the ball game. I cannot remember the young man's name, but late in that ball game, Anthony Dixon was worn down, and we had a a walk on running back that kind of salted the game away on that final drive. 2007, that's the Anthony Johnson game. Alabama's driving down about to put the game away, it seemed, right before the half. And Anthony Johnson picks it off and takes it back 103 yards. You've seen that replay many times before. I don't think people fully appreciate how big that moment was. It wasn't just because we picked it off and ran it back. If Alabama scores there, the game, for all intents and purposes, is likely over. And State goes on to win. 2008. Begins another big winning streak for Alabama that has not been defeated or snapped since then. What's interesting, too, about this from 2008 to now, guys, we have scored double digits three times in these games. Three times. 32 7, 31 3, 30 to 10, 24 to 7, 38 to 7, 20 to 7, and then, of course, the DAC game in 25-14, 25-20. 31 to 6, 51 to 3 in 16. Do you remember that one? It's like we drove over there and it's like we got off the bus and just wanted to get through the game. Probably one of the biggest highlights of the game was Jamal Graham had a nice pick, had a nice return, one of the few highlights in his career for State. 2017, State's last best chance to win. And I, and I, I think this is on Dan Mullen. We got too conservative late, had a chance to put the game away. We got cute. We lose 31-24. You remember Ty Grantham brings zero coverage and Jalen Hurts makes a play and they win the game 31-24. Probably the last time we looked at it and said, you know what? We're going to win that game. 2018, that's the the Jeff Batts game. You say, Steve, who's Jeff Batts? Jeff Batts is the uh, former linesman that called Dedrick Thomas for a block in the back on Shaheem Carter that nullified a Colin Hill touchdown just before the half. And the next thing you know, there's a penalty here, penalty there, and then we miss a field goal. And we lose that ball game 24-0. I, I give our defense some credit for keeping us in the ball game. That's a game, too, where Alabama fumbled in their very first possession. We recover. And not only do we not get the call, we didn't even get the courtesy of the review. 2019, they get us 38-7. 41-0 in 2020. That's our last trip over to Tuscaloosa. And then last year, 49-9. So under Mike Leach, we have not scored an offensive touchdown, and we have not been competitive since 2017. Difficult series, to say the least. But I look forward to a time where we can look at this game and say, you know what? We got a chance. I don't think this is that year, though. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't. And that's, that's not to be disrespectful to any coach or player. I just think, number one, it's, it's at the Alabama – Number two, Alabama got embarrassed last week. We're going to see a very refocused Alabama team. You know, there's a part of me, I think, maybe, maybe Alabama's not as good as they have been. And then that, that feeling kind of fades after a minute or so. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're not as good as they have been. I don't know if that's enough. You know, we got to go over there and play, kind of play above our heads and then have some help from them. I've had a lot of Alabama media requests this week. I try to accommodate all of them. But the reality of it is, is I don't think anybody expects us to go over there and keep this game competitive. I, I think just keeping it competitive is a win for Mississippi State. I don't believe in moral victories, but I, I'd like to be able to see the air raid, be able to go put a couple balls in the end zone. 
against Alabama, especially considering how bad that secondary played last week. I think it's important to kind of understand. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is my friend, your friend. He is a friend to all in need. Any of you that um, you know kind of need to get together and maybe do some debt consolidation, maybe you need to look at the refinancing your home, and maybe you're dealing with some challenges nobody else knows about, and you want to handle them privately and discreetly, well, you need to deal with a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler. 21 years of experience in the industry, back-to-back years with top 1% close ratio in the country. In the country, not just in Rankin County, not, not just up around uh, Tishomingo. We're talking nationally. Anybody that stays in any industry 20-plus years is somebody that knows what's going on. It's a guy that gets things done. You need a closer? That's Blair. That's why we call the website CloseWithBlair.com. Reach out to him at his personal cell number at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And here's the thing. Mention to Blair you heard about him on the Boneyard, and it doesn't matter who you cheer for. It doesn't matter if it's State, Ole Miss, Delta State, the University of California, Santa Barbara. It doesn't make any difference. Doesn't matter what your rooting interest is, Blair is uh, is there to be a champion for your cause. You mentioned to him you heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. How cool is that? It's a nice benefit just by listening to this show. That when you have mortgage needs, you can deal with a mortgage professional and get your appraisal paid for for free. Closeblair.com. Okay, we're doing a Rock of Alabama today. Roy didn't want to do it, but we're doing it. Um, I don't know why Roy didn't want to do it. Uh, you know, there's some good names on here. It, it's not a great list when you begin to think national artists, a lot of country artists, and we're going to get back to that when we play Auburn. We're going we're to do the Music of Alabama non-rock edition. Because I don't know if you know this, the Commodores are from Alabama. Do you know that? They're from Tuskegee, Alabama. Were you aware of that? So we'll revisit the great music of the great state of Alabama against Auburn. But today... It's rock. Now, some of these bands you're going to be familiar with, and some of these are not based in Alabama. So, and I'm a full disclaimer right now. There are some bands, 8, 9, and 10, that are great, but there's like one member from Alabama, and I just couldn't maybe quite pull the trigger on putting them higher up. But uh, some names maybe you don't know associated with some bands you do. So here we go, number 10. It's guitarist Larry Byram from Huntsville, Alabama. I was there recently. You may not know this, but Larry was a guitarist for Steppenwolf during their glory days. Oh, you didn't know that. Yeah, well, now you do. Steppenwolf, we're going Born to be Wild at number 10 today. Number 10, Born to be Wild. Number 9, from Pelham, Alabama, it's guitarist and vocalist Brent Hines. You say, Steve, who is Brent Hines? Well, he is the front man of Mastodon. If you're unfamiliar with Mastodon, I would encourage you to uh, familiarize yourself with the great music of Mastodon. And we're going to go with Show Yourself, which is my favorite Mastodon song. They have some that are kind of bordering more on thrash than I would say hard rock. They have a huge following. Huge. You may have even played one of their songs on on, uh, Rock Band. Number eight, I know many of you love this band, but they're actually based out of Athens, Georgia. But a couple of their members... Have some ties to Alabama. We're going with the drive-by truckers. 
Never Gonna Change is our song. The Dirty South is the best album from Drive By Truckers. And I'm not a big jam band guy. But I do like some of the stuff from the Drive By Truckers. I know many of you do. Some of you are huge fans. And this is, I think it's the first time we even had them on the show. All right, number seven, going back a little bit, a southern rock band from um, Mobile, Alabama. It's the band Wet Willie. And we're going to go with their hit song, Keep On Smiling. I had a southern rock CD. I didn't know much about Wet Willie. They were on there. They don't have the edge that maybe, um, you know, Mountain or Skinner and some of those bands do. But uh, anyway, worth noting today. All right, number six, Dole Bright. Hailing from Vestavia Hills, Alabama. You say, Steve, I've never heard of Dole Bright. So he was uh, the guitar player. We think He was in Hallow's Eve, and before that, I can't remember. He's been in a couple other bands, and they're really more dark metal bands. And so maybe you're unfamiliar with this. I had a friend in high school, Jason Dawsey, that was like the, the first Hallow's Eve fan that I knew. And these guys are legit. Like a lot of these people that, that have, you know, all this stuff. These guys, you know, I think they're probably evil. We're going to go with the song Soldier off the album uh, Where Evil Lies. I believe that's, or Evil Lives. Uh, but anyway, uh, Hallow's Eve, in honor of my friend Jason Dawsey, makes our list. Now, I think everything the rest of the way you've heard. Number five, we're going back to um, the American Idol catalog. And no, no, it's not Ruben Stoddard. It's not... Um, I can't remember the kid's name that we saw at, uh, at the Liberty Bowl back in 07. But it's Bo Bice. I thought Bo was amazing. Bo's still producing music. Maybe you haven't listened. But we're going to go back to the, the debut single from his debut album. It's the real thing. Bo Bice, number five on your top ten list. Number four, a guy that I don't know that maybe got his due. He's bounced around with a lot of bands, a bit of a journeyman in rock, but it's Eric Dover. You say, Steve... Why should I know Eric Dover? Well, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you've heard Eric Dover. Eric Dover was the vocalist on Slash's Snake Pit, and the song Beggars and Hangers On used to be the theme song for the show. How about that? So Beggars and Hangers On from Slash's Snake Pit. Now, to be fair, I like the live version with Miles Kennedy that's available on YouTube, but Eric, I thought they did a good job. Number three, this is a band, like I'm an Octane listener. Like if you have Sirius XM, I listen to Octane. I'm a Hair Nation guy, too. Listen to Boneyard. I kind of move around. But I like Octane, so I like to hear the new rock. And so maybe 10 years ago or more, there was a band on Octane that I thought was really going somewhere. They actually broke up in 2011. But it's a band called Course of Nature from Enterprise, Alabama. They had a great song called Anger Cage that I thought was really, really cool. And if you like Octane and if you liked it 10 years ago, you can definitely hear these guys are an octane band. Number two, saw these guys recently. Some of you guys know Damon Johnson. He was in Thin Lizzy for a while. He's been everywhere. He was with Alice Cooper for a while. Damon Johnson is the real deal. And while I've appreciated his full musical catalog, I love the work he's done with Brother Kane. And I'm going back to the beginning. Brother Kane, of course, based out of Birmingham, Alabama. I saw him in Huntsville with John Karabi here a couple weeks back. But we're going with Ain't No Shame. Or God No Shame. Uh, I got, got my shame songs mixed up. But God No Shame uh, for Brother King. Absolutely love that track. Love Damon Johnson. If you get a chance to get out and go see those guys, they're just kind of getting it going again. It's going to be a great night for you. Now, number one, I'm going to contradict myself here. Because we have one of the great vocalists 
and great guitarists of classic rock music. He was part of one of America's greatest rock bands that is from Alabama. And that's Tommy Shaw. And I think when you think of Tommy Shaw, you got to go with Sticks, even though he did some great work with the damn Yankees and with Shaw Blades. Tommy Shaw is just one of those guys, an amazing vocalist. And I don't know that he gets enough credit for it. We could have gone with High Enough. But I'm going back to Renegade from Sticks. I think the Tommy Shaw years with Sticks were without a doubt the best. And little did you know that he is from the great state of Alabama. So there you go, the Rock of Alabama. On today's top 10 list, if you have ideas for the list, reach out, let me know. We'll put you on the list, and uh, eventually we'll get to it. But Rock of Alabama, and again, we'll revisit, because Alabama's got a very rich musical heritage. I don't know that it competes necessarily with ours, but it's very respectable, to say the least. So there you go, the Rock of Alabama. Uh, reach out to Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, and you can find our great list on Spotify. If you're a Spotify user, and even if you're not, you can preview the songs over there too. And then maybe you go get them on your Apple Music. So go check them out today. Top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart, and you will too if you don't already. I think it's important to kind of understand we need to support Starkville businesses. You know, I believe in doing business with locals whenever I can, even when I travel. I try to get out and I have friends that are in the restaurant business today. Where do I, where's the one place I got to eat while I'm here? I like to eat and shop local. And so I encourage you to do the same, especially when you're in Starkville. But if you can't make it to town, maybe you live, you know, maybe you're doing, you know, mission work and, uh, you know, west of the Mississippi, whatever, and you can't make it to town very often. Let me encourage you. Give the, front, the fine people at Campus Bookmart a chance to serve you. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And you can use promo code BSR. By being a loyal Boneyard listener, we're going to save you some cash. Holidays are coming up. You want to save as, money, as much money as you can. Use BSR at campusbookmart.net, and you get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And chances are every order is going to be over 50 bucks, right? So the more you spend, the more you save. Not a lot of people out there going to do that for you, especially locally. So let's be sure and check them out, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right. You know, it's hard to – you look at this Alabama thing and you start thinking, you know, when does this thing ever end, right? I mean, that's, is that how we feel? That's how, that's how I see it. How long is this thing going to go on? Well, until Nick Saban retires, this is probably it. And what does it say about Alabama? to have two of the most legendary coaches in the history of college football. I think it says a lot about their culture, their commitment to football. And, of course, they committed to football a lot earlier than many other teams did in the Southeastern Conference, and it's been difficult for other people to catch up. Give Alabama some credit for getting it done. What's crazy, too, and we talk about – you know, Alabama and the things they've done. And, and I've touched about this on the show before. You know, you, you have not had a coach that has not had a 10-win season at Alabama in decades. We're going to review this really quickly here. The, uh, you know, of course, Nick Saban has won double-digit games. Mike Shula had a 10-win season. Dennis Francione had a 10-win season. Mike Dubose had a 10-win season and won the SEC. 
Gene Stallings, of course, had multiple double-digit win seasons. Even Bill Curry in 1989 had a 10-win season. Ray, Ray Perkins, a 10-win season. And, of course, Bear Bryant had several. you got to go all the way back to the 1950s. Coach Jennings B. Woodworth, he actually had a 10-loss season in his first season. That's the last coach in Alabama football to not win 10 games. And what's amazing is you go back to the coach before them, Harold Drew, he had a 10-win season. And then Frank Thomas had multiple 10-win seasons. Wallace Wade, 10-win seasons. Coach Zen Scott, way back in the 1920s, he had a 10-1 season in 1920. And then you know what? Before that, you didn't play 10 games. So since we have gone to a 10- or 11-game schedule, every coach in the history of Alabama football has had a double-digit winning season with one exception. That is absolutely remarkable. It really is. It's not just been one coach that built the program. It's a university. It's a fan base. It's been a real commitment. It's amazing to look at it through that lens and realize how good Alabama has been historically. And you look at all this you know, recent stuff you know, with, um, you know, with Nick Saban, it's easy to lose sight of that. I don't know if you know this too, but Alabama has been to a bowl game every single year since 2003, and they were ineligible in 2002 and 2003. The only reason they didn't go in 2002 is because they were ineligible. Finished with a 10 and 3 record and went 11th in the country. The next year, she was first year. Things got a little interesting. They went four and nine. But the last time that they were eligible and didn't make a bowl game was 2000. And that was uh, the last year of Mike DuBose. They went 3-8. and eight, And that was in the middle of all that Albert Mean stuff. A lot of things that were going on. A lot of things. So it's remarkable to think that this century that Alabama has been to a bowl game every year that's been eligible except for one. And that was in 2000. Amazing to think about that. So, you know, what is it, 21 consecutive years and they're both eligible now? It's a remarkable run. Absolutely remarkable. All right, let's look at this year. Utah State, they smashed those guys 55-0. And Utah State was a good team last year. We didn't expect them to go out there and compete. We did think they'd score. And then Texas nearly pulls off one of the biggest wins in recent school history. And Bryce Young basically just kind of takes the team, puts him on his back late in the ballgame, sets up a game-winning field goal. Alabama wins 20-19. to 19. That's when we were out in Arizona. And at that point, I think people thought, well, you know, maybe Texas is back. Maybe Alabama is not as good as we thought. And Texas gave Alabama some trouble. There's no question about that. And you look at what Texas has done as of late, you know, you know, maybe they are starting to kind of show some signs that, uh, you know, things are, are on the uptick there. Probably fair, but, uh, you know, Texas, you know, still got, still got some games to play too. The uh, absolute shelling they had against Oklahoma, I think it says more about Oklahoma than it does Texas. But, uh, you know, they're 5-2. Their other loss was in overtime at Texas Tech. But since that time – been really strong. They beat Iowa State last week. It was in Austin. And Iowa State, I mean, you know, Matt Campbell's a guy that was considered one of the hottest names in the coaching industry here recently. 
kind of falling off a little bit. They'll be at Oklahoma State this weekend. That'll be a big game. I like the Cowpokes. Got to go to Stillwater and play in Boone Pickett Stadium. That's Texas. But back to Alabama. After the Texas game, they uh, they paced UL Monroe 63-7. And I'll save the punchline for you. It's like I look at that and say, well, UL Monroe scored. Why can't we? Let's go get it done. And I hate to tell poor mouth this whole thing, but I, I'm just tired of it. Vanderbilt, 55-3. Never expected that, did you? They go to Arkansas and uh, jump all over Arkansas, and then Arkansas comes back in the middle of the game, and then they put it away late, 49-26. A&M goes to Tuscaloosa, and you say what you want about Jimbo Fisher. Is he underachieved? Absolutely. Is he a career 8-4 and four coach? More than likely. They had every reason to lay down in that ball game, and they didn't. And they go up there, and they have a chance to win it on the game's final play. You talk about play calling. Well, you can criticize that. But the reality of it is, is A&M went to Tuscaloosa in a game that Alabama really, really wanted. And you know that coaching staff was fired up to get A&M back on their field after losing in College Station and then Jimbo and Nick having this uh, saber-rattling episode during the summer months. Not a good look for the league. And again, I'm not a big moral victories guy, but the fact that A&M went into Tuscaloosa with all of that riding on their backs you could make an argument they should have won the game it's from, it's amazing it really is and then of course last week Tennessee goes up and puts up 52 points on a Nick Saban defense you don't think they'll lock it down this week they will and the thing you got to wonder too again maybe Alabama is not as good as they have been they're still amazing the talent differential in this game is, is, is immense. But what do you do maybe if you go out there and you put some points on the board early and maybe you start believing and maybe that secondary begins to think, oh, wait a minute, nobody's respecting us. You know, again, I'm not expecting State to win this ball game by any stretch. But I do think State can go out there and maybe make this thing competitive a little more. Uh, what I worry about with Alabama is what we saw last year. The pass rush. They, they put a completely different formula together. They weren't going to let us do what we did at Texas A&M and sit back and throw. We're going to get rid of the ball quickly. It's going to be the biggest test I think our offensive line has faced. I think that's fair, and that includes LSU. Because I think you know, when you look at you know Will Anderson, I transcribed some, some, transcribed some quotes of him earlier this week, the guy's an absolute phenom. He is. And those guys didn't play exceptionally well last week. So they're going to come out with something to prove this week. I think that's fair. I don't think anybody will be surprised by that. And just unfortunately, it's us. we got to deal with it. But, but looking back at last week's um, numbers, I thought Tennessee just played absolutely fearless in this ballgame. And I go back, when you think about we, we talk about the old Miss Hugh Freeze years. I thought Freeze had those guys at Ole Miss believing, you know what, we're just as good as those guys. And then they beat him in back-to-back years. And I think the 2015 win's bigger than the 14 win. Because like this A&M game, you know Alabama had that game circled on the calendar. Ole Miss beats them in 14. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to route them. And then Chad Kelly beats them. But I think the, 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 the key here, when you and there hadn't been a lot of Alabama losses, 
is if you go out there and you play safe and you play scared, you're going to get beat. You're going to get run out of the stadium. If you go out there and you play fearless and make Alabama play, you got a shot. I just don't know if, we're, if that's who we are. But Tennessee up 21-7 after one. They actually got 28-10 in this ballgame. Pretty remarkable to think about that. You're up three scores on Alabama and nearly lose the game. And that says a lot about Alabama, too. And maybe it says something about play calling for Josh Heupel that you're up three scores and then you, you kind of limp into the half there up there, you know, only up 28-20. But the reality of it is, is that Tennessee took the fight to Alabama. And this was such a wild game down the stretch. We get to this fourth quarter. It is 42-35 at home for Tennessee. Alabama ties it with 8.38 to play. And then Alabama takes the lead. And you, if you felt like I did when I, when I watched Dallas Turner pick up that fumble, you know, they had the, the exchange problem. Alabama scoops it up, and they go right in the score. The extra point is good. It's 49-42, and they basically scored two touchdowns. And he said, well, here comes the Alabama magic. But give Tennessee credit. They go right back down the field. The next drive and tie the ball game. And you're thinking, okay, well, this I know how this is setting up for Alabama. Alabama's going to go down there and they'll, they'll kick a late field goal. Uh, they're going to get all this taken care of. And they'll survive. That's what we all thought. And maybe, maybe it's just me, but that's what I thought. And lo and behold, they miss a 50-yard field goal. They run it down, run it down, run it down, run it down, run it down. But just uh, just kind of word, and, and we'll get back to the show here. I, I paused the show. We have just learned that uh, you know Mike Leach was not on the SEC teleconference today, and we weren't we weren't quite sure why that was. And um, then they just announced that we're canceling post practice media opportunities today, and usually we get coaches today, so we're not going to have that. And I was like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. And then after. Uh, reaching out to a couple people, a couple of our guys on the team, you know, our media team, we find out that uh, Sam Westmoreland has passed away. And uh, Sam Westmoreland, a walk-on offensive lineman from Tupelo. And uh, not sure the details behind it. I don't want to speculate. But the bottom line is that Sam is no longer with us. And that's one of the things, too. You know, I don't, I don't know what you believe or how you believe or how you worship or if you believe anything at all. That's one of those things, though, that I have difficulty reconciling in life is why do young people die? I mean, uh, really. I mean, it's just one of those things that it just absolutely blows my mind. It's like I know it's a part of life. It's not anything that, um, that I take lightly. But Sam was a product of Tupelo High School, played actually in the, uh, in the uh, North-South game or excuse me, 2022 Northeast Mississippi Football Coaches Association All-Star Game. Was an all-region player in 2-6A. Was part of two playoff teams. Born October 21st, just days away from his birthday. Samuel Alton Westmoreland, son of Amanda and Josh Westmoreland. And you, and you know they're, they're hurting tonight. They're, they're absolutely hurting tonight. His sister Marilyn, please keep them in your thoughts and prayers. He was an industrial technology major. It's just one of those things, man. You, you look at this, and like I'm sitting here looking at this picture right now online. You know, it's just one of those things you look at, and it's just, 
it's just difficult to make sense of sometimes how things work. And I, I don't know what's going on in Sam's life. And again, we don't want to speculate or anything like that. But the reality of it is everybody that loved Sam Westmoreland is hurting right now, including many of you. And many of you never have interacted with Sam. You never met Sam. But because he wore our uniform, you're hurting too. And so I encourage you to reach out to each other, of course. And uh, let me read you the statement, of course, from Mississippi State here. Mississippi State University is deeply sad to learn the death this morning of freshman student athlete Samuel Westmoreland, 19, of Tupelo. Westmoreland, a Tupelo High School graduate, was an offensive lineman for the MSU Bulldog football team and an industrial technology major. One of the most profound lessons I've learned while leading this great university is the tragic loss of one of our students diminishes all of our students and all of us at Mississippi State feel the impact of Sam Westmoreland's death. That's from President Mark Keenum. My prayers are with Sam's family and friends, with his teammates and coaches, and with the Tupelo community during this most difficult time. Mississippi State head football coach Mike Leach said the Mississippi State Athletics family is heartbroken by the sudden death of Sam Westmoreland. Sam was a beloved son, brother, and teammate, and a tremendous young man with a limitless future. He will always be remembered and deeply missed by everyone who knew and loved him. The entire MSU family mourns as our thoughts and prayers go out to the Westmoreland family. Our highest priority is to support the Westmoreland family and our student-athletes during this troubling time. John Cohen went on to say, We are heartbroken by the sudden loss of Sam Westmoreland. Mississippi State is a family. We are all mourning during this trying time. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Westmoreland family and everyone who knew and loved Sam. The university is working cooperatively with the Octibaha County Sheriff's Office, the Octibaha County Coroner's Office, the MSU Division of Student Affairs, and the MSU Athletics Department to determine the facts of this incident and will have no further comment until that assessment is completed. And then it goes on to say that, you know, the counseling sessions are available, uh, you know, for students. And, um, I just really struggled to, to make sense of a lot of things in life, and, and this is one of them. And, uh, again, not having a personal relationship with Sam, I can't really speak intelligently, you know, about what's going on in his life or the, the circumstances behind any of that. But I, I will just tell you that um, it really puts some things in perspective. Even during the course of the show, you know, I'm just kind of talking, you know, just so lackadaisically about Alabama and how we're not going to go over there and win that football game. And then something like this is brought to your attention. It really changes, at least for me, changes my perception. And sometimes we forget, you know, what a gift life really is. I mean, honestly, I mean, we think we're going to live forever. You know, we all hope to die, you know, fat, rich, and surrounded by family as, as old people. That didn't always work out that way. And so, again, I'm going to take a moment to kind of collect myself a little bit, but uh, I'll be right back and we'll record the rest of the show. But, uh, you know, Sam and your family, we love you. And I know that I speak on behalf of every Mississippi State fan in the world when I say all of our thoughts and our prayers and all of our well wishes and all that we can offer from an emotional standpoint is with the Westmoreland family, his friends, teammates, and everybody that loved Sam Westmoreland. All right, back to our look at Alabama. <clears throat> we talked about the Utah State game and, and how well they've run through the schedule. But um, let's kind of look inside the numbers a little bit here, too, as uh, 
as we look at kind of what to expect. I mean, you know at Alabama, they're going to have talent at every position. No doubts about it. But as a team, averaging 45 points a game, allowing just 18.14 points per game. And, again, not to be all poor Mississippi State about it, if we could score 18 points, I think we'd be pretty happy even when we're going to lose a ball game. But uh, 315 points scored this year. They've allowed us 127. First downs, it's been pretty balanced for them. 70 on the ground, 90 through the air. They're allowing 47 first downs through on the ground and then 58 through the air. Allowed 126 first downs. The teams have moved the football a little bit against Alabama, but not at the frequency perhaps that they need to to win regularly. Alabama, 1,659 rushing yards. They've allowed 689. Nobody's making a living running the football against the University of Alabama. From a passing standpoint, 155 completions, 235 attempts, and five interceptions against 21 touchdowns. Opponents have thrown just three picks, though, and eight touchdowns. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic, too. That people Opponents have thrown it almost as much, 218 attempts, but just the three picks. So the Alabama secondary, maybe not as prolific thus far as they have been in recent years. They've allowed 1,383 yards through the air and had 1,934 themselves. And, of course, a lot of that they get a big lead and it's kind of salted away with Gibbs and that fine stable of running backs they have. Uh, 513 yards per game allowing 296. I can't say we're going to hurt the average much, shall we say. 41 total touchdowns for Alabama. They've allowed just 14 touchdowns. And you saw how many they allowed last week. Difficult, difficult, difficult. All right, kickoff average returns for them is 20. They've allowed 14.73. Nine returns for them. They've allowed 11 returns, which uh, maybe that's because of the frequency in which they're scoring. But – Maybe some opportunities there. You know, we'll see. Looking at kicking, uh, average punt per game, 40.45 opponents, 41.42. And, you know, the people are punting a lot more. Alabama's punted 22 times. Their opponent's 53. They're 9 of 13 on field goal attempts, including that big mess last week that would have won the game. Their opponent's 10 of 11. Been one onside kick, and it was recovered by Alabama's opponents. A lot of penalties for this team, too. Alabama, one of the most penalized teams in the country, allowing about 80 yards per game in penalties. Their opponents have been flagged 45 times, Alabama 66 this year. Very atypical for a Nick Saban coach team to have that that many disciplinary issues. Time of possession, you would expect Alabama to have a lot. They're really only keeping it right at 30 minutes a game. So it's been pretty even in that respect. They are 46% on third downs, 39 of 84. Their opponents, 26 of 103 for just over 25%. Fourth down conversions, 4 of 9 for Alabama, 3 of 10. Good chance that Mississippi State goes for it on fourth down. We generally do. Alabama has fumbled a surprising 15 times this year. They've lost only five of them, but they are putting the ball on the ground with greater regularity. Opponents have fumbled just eight times, losing two. Alabama, 19 sacks. They've allowed 10. Some of that's got to do with Bryce Young and the mobile quarterbacks they have. They have not missed a PAT. Their opponents have missed one of 12. In the red zone, Alabama, 30 of 34. 25 of those 30 have been touchdowns. 
their opponents 18 of 22, and then 11 of those have been touchdowns. So the good chance you got to, you're going to score if you can get in the red zone. We just got to get there. Individual numbers here. Jameer Gibbs, he's the transfer from Georgia Tech, and you begin to ask yourself, how in the world did Jeff Collins not win more games for this guy at his disposal? Maybe one of the reasons that Jeff's no longer there. But Jameer Gibbs leads the team with 635 yards rushing, averaging 7.2 yards a carry. If you've seen Alabama play, you can see how explosive Gibbs can be. When he gets to the corner, he's getting north. Five touchdowns on the year, along of 76, averaging just under 91 yards a game. Jace McClellan, the second leading rusher, 303 yards, three touchdowns. Jalen Milrow, the backup quarterback, played in five games. They do have some packages for him, even when he doesn't start. Uh, 246 yards rushing, 8.5 yards a carry. That'll get it done, along a 77. He had that big, long run against Arkansas. It was really kind of a game-changing play. Then Bryce Young, the former Heisman winner, has played in six games. 22 rushes, 150 yards, and three touchdowns. And one is a long of 63. So, good group there. Trey Sanders, the guy they were expecting to be kind of the next big thing, and maybe he will be eventually. Not much for him this year, but we'll see. All right, look at the passing numbers. Pretty gaudy stuff here. Bryce Young, 125 of 186. He has thrown three picks. 1,657 yards to the air, 16 touchdowns, averaging 276 yards a game. Jalen Milrow, of course, has played in five. 28 of 46 with a couple of picks there, but completing right at 61% of his passes. Five touchdowns for him. And, uh, of course, uh, in the long there of, of 35. Ty Simpson, you know, former five-star quarterback, has played in three games, played sparingly, attempted just three passes. He will be a big name to remember as we kind of move forward. All right, Ja'Cory Brooks, we uh, had a chance to see him speak earlier this week as he spoke about uh, the Bulldogs. He has actually – he has a left eye that uh, – he says he got hit in the, in the face with a football and kind of blinked and – and weeped the whole way through the press conference. And I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, if any of us got hit now with a football, it'd be difficult. So does that a factor in the game? I don't know. Kobe Prentice, uh, seven grabs for him, 278 yards. Jermaine Burton, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. There, there was some discussion. This video, and I believe I have this correct, Jermaine Burton has played in seven games, 18 grabs, 266 yards, three touchdowns. There is video of him allegedly hitting a female Tennessee fan in the face. Now, some I've read some commentary from some Alabama people I think is somewhat despicable. Well, she had no business down there. Well, you know, maybe she didn't. It doesn't give him the right to hit her. It's ridiculous. There's no circumstances that's ever okay. So does he sit the ball game? I would say probably. Does it have an impact? I don't know. Probably not. Because when one five-star goes down, another one steps up. But uh, this is, again, a very, very talented group. Uh, you've had a half dozen players keep, catch double-digit passes this year. Uh, Treshawn Holden, number 11, that's a guy, too, that's kind of sneaky good, too. Really good in the red zone. Four touchdowns for him. A guy you kind of look forward to uh, seeing how his uh, you know, how his career kind of unfolds there. But, you know, they've always got dudes at Alabama. It's never a big surprise that Alabama is going to bring a very talented team to the field. Defensively, uh, DeMarco Helams, 47 tackles, and Henry Toa Toa also at 47. Those guys are among the league leaders in tackles, as you may know. 
Brian Branch, number 14, 41 tackles for him. Jalen Moody with 33. Will Anderson from that defensive end position, 32, which is pretty big numbers. Ten and a half of those tackles have been for loss, which uh, leads Alabama and I believe the Southeastern Conference. He also has five sacks on the year and an interception and credited with nine quarterback hurries. Uh, those numbers obviously lead Alabama. And you would say even interceptions, yes, even interceptions. He's had with first place with one, just three picks this year. And one of those, of course, going to Will Anderson. We had a lot of trouble containing him last year. There was no question about it. No question about it. A lot of difficulty. They lined him over on Scott Latchford's side many times and really got after the quarterback. How State handles the pass rush will determine a lot about the margin in this game. Look at his special teams. James Burnup, 21 punts on the year, again averaging 42.38. And then along a 51, seven fair catches, nine inside the 20, 250-plus, and just a one touchback. So he is going to give them a chance to cover the punt. Uh, Will Reichard, 9 of 13, of course, a big mess last week. 2 of 2 from under 30, 2 of 3, 30 to 39, 3 of 4, 40 to 49, and 2 of 4, 50 plus. He has a long of 52 yards to his credit. Will Reichard also handles the kickoffs, most of them, 51 of them on the year, 34 of those touchbacks. There are 17 of those that are returnable. You begin to do the math on that, and you can see perhaps Tulu has a chance to make a play. Jack Martin has five kickoffs this year and no touchbacks. Not sure what his future holds, but he's averaging under 57 yards a kick, which all those should be returnable. And you wonder, too, how many of those touchbacks, too, were like fair caught type things or situations where a guy elected not to bring it out. So Tulu may have an opportunity uh, to make some plays here. Looking at returns, Kool-Aid McInnistry, the guy's electric. Where's number one for them? Future NFL guy, provided he stays healthy. Outstanding in punt returns, 18 of them, 319 yards, averaging just under 18 yards of return with a long of 45. And then there's a handful of other guys that have gotten out there late in ball games and returned those punts. Kickoffs, Jameer Gibbs, uh, kick it away from number one. Right, just put it in the end zone. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, an explosive player, seven returns, averaging 23.43 yards of return, one long of 57. And then Ja'Cory Brooks, the aforementioned receiver, two for, for 22 uh, 11 yards per return for him. So special teams might actually favor Mississippi State here, which is kind of weird to say. We've got to go out there and play clean. But this is a team, too, obviously, if you make mistakes, they can absolutely hurt you. What's interesting, too, kind of looking at the number here, these comparison numbers between them. You know, Utah State goes out there. Nobody expected them to do much. They didn't. 79 yards rushing, Texas, 79 yards rushing, UL Monroe, 78 yards rushing, Vanderbilt, 14 yards rushing, Arkansas, the most this year, 187 yards rushing, and they're a run-first team, obviously, A&M, 70 yards rushing, Tennessee, 182 yards rushing, of course, Tennessee, very balanced. It's the only team this year that's outrushed Alabama was Tennessee. Uh, passing numbers, again, awfully interesting here. Utah State threw for 57 yards. Texas threw for 292 yards. UL Monroe just 91. Vanderbilt 115. Arkansas 190. A&M 253. And Tennessee 385. So you see, as of late, teams have had some success throwing the football against Alabama. What does Nick Saban do to counter? I guess we'll see. All that's very interesting to me. 
you know, maybe the SEC teams have kind of figured some things out watching some tape. But you go back to Texas, even with a backup quarterback, they outpassed Alabama. Wasn't a great game, but Alabama found a way to win it. So I share all that with you just because, you know, kind of understand what we're up against here. This is a great Alabama team. Are they as great as they have been? I would venture to say no, and I think the records and the scores and the statistics all kind of show that. But the reality of it is, if you look at what some of these games have have had, like the Texas A&M game, Alabama turned it over four times in that game. Alabama is not generating a lot of turnovers. They won the turnover battle last week against Tennessee 2-1. Of course, they had that scoop and score that looked to be maybe the coup de grace. Turns out that it wasn't. But when you start looking at these penalty numbers, this is one of those things that really, really jumps out to you. Alabama... Three games this year, they've had 10 or more penalties. That was against Texas, a game they probably should have lost. 10 against Arkansas, a game that Arkansas came back and and made very competitive. And in 17 last week against Tennessee, uh, Tennessee just committed six penalties in the game. When's the last time that you saw Alabama have double-digit penalties and then have double-digit penalties more than their opponent? That doesn't happen very often. Alabama's a protected species in this league. I don't care what anybody says or does. But when you look at what happened last week, you know, a lot of Alabama people kind of up in arms about how many flags were called on Alabama. Well, welcome to how the rest of the world lives. I think it's important to understand that too. But we're going to be in Tuscaloosa, so we'll see. We've been over there and seen some very, uh, shall we say, auspicious uh, penalties called and not called there. I'm not making excuses, again, because I don't expect State to win the ball game. But the reality of it is Mississippi State has a real challenge ahead of them but can State go over there and make this thing competitive? I think they can. But if we show up and play like we did last week, we're going to get absolutely embarrassed. And I don't think there's any question about it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Portico, I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville, this is where I would move. I would like to be that close to campus, and maybe you would too. The cool thing about that is, is even if you don't go to games, you'll get a lot of you know, game day traffic, people coming in to visit with you. That's kind of cool too. 1.1 miles away from all things maroon. You turn off of 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stop. Boom, there it is on the right-hand side. Very easy to find, easy to get to, but kind of tucked away in a neighborhood so you kind of have some privacy. It's not just so, you know, busy out there on that part of campus. You know, the other side of campus, it's very, very busy, but you can be tucked away there, have some privacy, but also to the convenience of being that close to campus. I encourage you to reach out to my friend, your friend, Brooks Bryan. His phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath residence and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath. And you know what? They can even do some custom build for you. A lot of people are like, hey, Steve, I've got to have this. They can take care of that for you. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two already underdeveloped. Some of those homes are already sold too. But you can jump on board and kind of pick out your lot and kind of pick out your house plans. And, you know, maybe you've got to have a, a big office. Maybe you need somebody that needs a big playroom. Maybe there are things specifically that you need. They can accommodate you. So rather than go out there and buy, you know, kind of a house that's kind of built in a cookie-cutter fashion, reach out to our friends at Portico. Reach out to them and they can get you taken care of. Make Portico your next move. All right, I'm going to talk about a few things here before we get out of here. Of course, uh, 
you know, kind of keys to victory. What does State need to do to make this game competitive and possibly win the game? Well, they're going to need some help from Alabama. I think we're going to need Alabama to turn the football over, maybe give State the short end of the field. Maybe perhaps you got to get a non-offensive touchdown, whether that be a return or a pick or whatever. And you listen, Emmanuel Forbes is a guy too, and you know those Alabama guys want to match up with Emmanuel Forbes. The guy was recently named a midseason All-American by Associated Press, so he's a name they know. Nick Saban is no idiot, though. He's going to take the path of least resistance whenever you can just because of the fact that that guy's a great coach. He's not going to go out there and bang his head against a brick wall. But in order for State, I think, to stay in this game, you're going to have to have some help from Alabama. There's absolutely no question about it. You've got to get Alabama to make some mistakes, whether it be penalties or turnovers. The turnover variety would be even better because I think State's going to have a tough time driving the length of the field against this athletic defense. I don't think we're going to see a lot of man coverage. I do think we're going to see a lot of pressure. And when we do, we've got to be able to go hot and hit the open route there. I think State's got to try to control the clock here. Now, we don't run the football a lot. Of course, we don't know the availability of Dylan Johnson this week. There's a lot of discussion that he was banged up. He did return, and DJ is a guy that really wants to play and play well. We don't know if he's available this week. We don't. We don't think it's a situation where he is going to be out long term, and that's the thing you begin to think about. Well, if he doesn't play this week and then you've got the bye week, you know, perhaps you get him back in time for Auburn. So I don't expect them to play, but we have not gotten any official word on that just yet. So then it boils down uh, you know, to Woody Marks and, of course, Simeon Price, J.J. Jernigan, you know, Antonio Hargrove. We, the last we heard of him, he was taking his name out of the portal. He hadn't done much since then. But the reality of it is, is State's got to find a way to control this clock. And I think you do it with a short, intermediate passing game. I think you kind of take a book out of the, the Kentucky playbook when it comes to clock management, and maybe similar to what Dan Mullen did. You know, Dan lined up under center in 17, and then we'd snap the ball with two or three seconds to go on the play clock, but we were able to run the football successfully. I don't think you can go out there and try to score quickly against Alabama, and that's kind of what Tennessee did. Tennessee was very explosive. I think if you're state, I think maybe you're going to have some difficulty stopping these guys. Tennessee did too. They just happened to have the ball last. But I think the reality for state is – is you got to get out there and move the chains, slow things down, and then when the opportunity to make some big plays are there, you got to take them. But the reality of it is I think State needs to have a methodical approach on offense and try to find a way to shorten the game. And you would say that kind of goes against the concepts of the air raid offense. This is not a typical opponent. you got to find a way to slow down that running game of Alabama. You got to make them one dimensional. And that's something we thought we'd be able to do earlier in the year. And Zach Arnett said it in back to back weeks. And maybe we didn't listen to him as much as we should have, including myself. He's like, oh, the running numbers look good. He goes, well, I think some of that is dictated by the fact that our offense has been able to get some separation. So as a result, opponents aren't looking to run the football as much. They get behind, they got to go work for chunk plays and try to get the ball down the field. So they're not calling as many running plays. But when we've had two games, the two games that we've lost, where we have been down in the fourth quarter, these teams have been able to get downhill on us. And so we have got to be able to do a good job of slowing down and at times stopping the run. We've got to hope also that Alabama maybe perhaps commits some pre-snap penalties or some holding calls to get them in predictable down and distance on third down. We've got to get them in third and long. If they can just line up and go for it on third and short the whole ball game. It's going to, get early, going to get late really early in Tuscaloosa for us. We're also going to need a fair game. You can say, but Steve, no. 
I can't remember the last time we had a fair game in Tuscaloosa. And that goes back even to the 14 game. We rarely ever get calls in Tuscaloosa. And you got to think, too, I mean, I'm not one to buy into all these conspiracy theories. But I wrote a big article here two years ago about uh, all our, excuse me, four years ago now, about all the connections to these Alabama officials. And I I have had an SEC official, and I will not name him because I don't want him to be maybe chastised or anything, but he made a comment about how many officials are from the state of Alabama. That's something I kind of scratched my head about too. You know, the SEC covers a lot of states. So why are the lion's share of the officials from the state of Alabama? And I know a lot of people, I get messages sometimes from guys that are officials and said, hey, Steve, you don't know that guy. You're absolutely right, I don't. But I know the optics. I know the perception. If we've got all these great officials in the state of Alabama, we've got to have some great ones in the state of Mississippi. We've got to have some great ones in the state of Georgia, some great ones in the state of Tennessee, perhaps in Kentucky, Louisiana, Arkansas. So why are so many of the officials from the state of Alabama? Now, that's not alleging a conspiracy, but I think in some ways it's, it's lazy. I mean, many of these games are done by a regional crew. And I, just, I don't fully appreciate the fact that we got so many officials from the state of Alabama. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's not a good look. So we got to get a fair game over there, and I don't know that we will. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see how things go. But, yeah, it's a tall task in front of us, and we got to go out there and do the best we can to try to go win a ball game. It's gonna be, it would be one of the biggest upsets in, in recent history for Mississippi State. It'd be a program-defining moment. It would be there all these people that are on the, uh, off the leech bandwagon will be right back on next week. And then, of course, the, the narrative changes then. Well, if we could beat Alabama, how did we lose to LSU and Kentucky? I don't really care. I'm happy to have that conversation if we can go win the game. I just don't expect it. And then, of course, as I mentioned, we'll have the bye week next week so we can you know, sit here and lament this loss now for a couple weeks. I'm just not optimistic about it. We've taken some teams over there in the past, and I thought, you know what, we got a chance. I just don't feel that way. I'd love to be wrong. I just don't give Mississippi State much of a chance. I want to spend the final few minutes here uh, talking about a couple things, a little more personal, I guess. Um, you know, when I was 19 years of age, and many of you, some of you know this, some of you don't. When I was 19 years of age, um, yeah, I was in the depths of addiction. I tried to kill myself. And I obviously was unsuccessful. And uh, I, I want to say this, and there are some of you right now that m- maybe everything in your life has always been perfect and maybe nothing's ever gone wrong for you. And if you're one of those people, feel free to go ahead and turn the show off now. I, I won't judge you for it. But I want to speak to those that maybe have suffered, which should be all of you at some point, Right whether it had been with heartbreak or addiction or financial trouble or gambling problems or relationship trouble. At some point, we all feel like the world is out to get us. And that's how I felt. And there are times today that there'll be, sometimes I'll have these pity parties and start feeling sorry for myself. And so I share that with you today because I wish that I could take everybody up that's feeling that way And take them all in my arms and say, you know, it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be this way. It feels that that way. And it feels like, you know, you're kind of serving a life sentence or something. You know, I'll tell you, when um, the saddest day of my life was May 7th, 1994. I was two and a half years sober. 
And I've shared many times with you guys, the worst things that happened in my life happened after I got sober. I just didn't go get loaded over them. And he said, but Steve, you went to jail and you went to rehab and you had all these other problems. You got to, I I did, I did. And all that pales in comparison to a lot of things that I went through even after I got clean and sober. And I don't say that as a testament to me, but really in the testament to my support system. But at the same time too, you know, I had to kind of put my, you know, my foot in the ground and say, okay, this is enough. I'm not going to let life push me around. I'm going to live life on life's terms. But when I hurt, even to this day, I reach out to my friends. I call them. I text them. And I've never been one that's been afraid as an adult to tell somebody, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Now, I'm a very, very proud person. That's something that was difficult for me to do when I was young because I didn't want to admit weakness. And there was a time when I lived in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you know, back when you could live off Weathersby Road and, and, uh, and feel pretty good about life. And I was so incredibly out of it. I won't even go through all I'd gone through that night. But uh, I was laying in my bed, and my heart was about to beat out of my chest because I had mistook some heart medication for pain meds. And I thought that I was going to die. And I was so incredibly proud and so incredibly stubborn and so incredibly lost that I wouldn't go to the hospital. I wouldn't dial 911. I wouldn't let my friends take me to the ER because I would have rather died than my family found out I was a drug addict. And of course, they eventually did. And somehow I survived. I'm still here today. And those early days of recovery were so difficult so incredibly difficult because I felt like everybody that looked at me had some type of smirk on their face. And you just kind of make up your mind, you know what, their opinion doesn't matter. And it takes a while to kind of get that attitude. But I share that with you because I think it's important to understand you're not alone. I have so many people that say, oh, Steve, you're always so positive and you always have such a good outlook on life. That's, That's 31 years of recovery, man. In the beginning, I had this pink cloud, you know, it's like I'm just happy to be able to do the right thing again, be able to pay my bills and not have the cops show up at my house and run people off and don't have people going through, rummaging through my car and things like that, trying to find dope. I was just happy to be a normal person and happy to have an ordinary life. And I share this with you, and sometimes I get, I mean, I get, I get tear-stricken sometimes when I think about this. You know, I remember those days... When uh, I was talking to a guy earlier, it's young in recovery. And he's so hopeful about life. And I was like, man, you know, how much time you got? He goes, man, if I, he said, if I make it the next month, it'll be a year. And I haven't forgotten the euphoria of that first year. And I certainly hadn't forgot the euphoria of year 31. But I remember those days when I was just getting up and going to work every day. I'd come home at night, and then I'm, you know, maybe I'd go to Blockbuster or something. And maybe we'd sit around and play Trivial Pursuit. We'd have some friends over and play Pictionary. And I know I'm dating myself because I'm from the 1900s. Those were some of the best times of my life. And I had, I had less then than I had probably ever had at any point in my life. And I grew up as broken as the Ten Commandments. I mean, we were so incredibly poor. And I remember times sitting in my grandmother's lap and her telling me, it's all going to be okay, baby. And sometimes to this day, I wish I could still hear that. When I'm having a tough day, I wish somebody could just take me up and say, you know what, it's all going to be okay. And so I'm telling you right now, it's all going to be okay. And maybe you're scared to reach out to somebody. I'm available. 
I, you would not believe the amount of people that have reached out to me about recovery. But I can tell you this. I know I speak for every, on behalf of everybody that loves you. We'd much rather have you here with all your warts and all the problems that you have than to go to your funeral. That's the truth. And I share that with you because I remember those days when uh, I would go to Sack and Save on 49 because they had double coupons. And I'd be, it, I'd be like three or four days away from payday. You know, we got paid every other Friday. And I'd get to Tuesday and I'd realize I wasn't going to have enough money to make it to Friday. And I would go to, I'd go to Sack and Save and I'd buy, I'd buy the cheapest bread they had. And I'd get a pound of bacon and a couple of tomatoes, and I eat bacon tomato sandwiches. Some people say, well, Steve, that's not really struggling. Well, it is when you eat it every day. There's sometimes even today I like a bacon tomato sandwich. But I would get those double coupons because I could ration my money and I could make it to Friday when I got paid again. And I was, I was clean and sober. I was working every single day, and I was living like a pauper. But that's what it required. And I would rather live broke as the Ten Commandments, clean and sober, then live high on the hill in addiction. Now, I've shared this so many times before. The only difference between a lot of the street walkers out there and, and the soccer moms at the country club is where they get their drugs. The pain is still the same. The circumstances may not be, but the pain is still the same. And so I share that with you. There are people that are overcomers in life. I am not a survivor. And quite frankly, I find that the, the, the term somewhat offensive. I say, oh, you know, well, Steve's a survivor. You know, I, I know you mean well. I'm not a survivor. I'm an overcomer. You know, survivor is by chance. An overcomer is through effort. You know, you, you end up in a plane crash and God spares you. Well, you survive the plane crash. You may have to overcome the trauma that comes beyond that. But surviving is a matter of chance. Overcoming is a matter of skill and commitment. And so I encourage you today, maybe you are just surviving out there. I, I submit to you today, there is nothing special about me. Some may argue, but there is nothing special about me. I have worked very, very hard to achieve something in life and to create a platform that I can help other people and I can cover Mississippi State and I can do what I love and cover the team that I love and be around the people that I love and be able to take them on nice trips and things like that. But I can assure you, it has not been by accident. I have been blessed beyond measure. But I had something to do with this too. And so can you. I remember on May 7th, 1994, <clears throat> and this is difficult to say, even, even now, you know, we had a miscarriage. And I thought I was being punished. And I thought, that, uh, I thought that my family was being punished because I had been such a bad person. It's like here I was going to work every day, going to my meetings. I'm not drinking. I'm not using. I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm just being a regular dude. And then we lost that kid. And it absolutely crushed me. And even to this day, when that day passes, it gets to me. And sometimes I look at my kids, and, I, and sometimes I wonder, you know, what if? And then I think about, you know, we, we lost him, then we had Ani, we lost another one. And I remember then thinking, probably one of the most earnest prayers I've prayed in my life. 
And I said, you know, God, if, if you never bless me with another kid, I'm good. I'm going to be grateful for the one I have. <clears throat> and so I say that because had those other two lived, I wouldn't have Mia and Ian. And so just when it seems like the worst moment in your life is here, I can promise you that help is on the way. No matter how bad you feel today, it won't always be this way. Surround yourselves with positive people that are people that are moving in the right direction, and you'll make it. I think so many times I look back, what if I had been successful in, in killing myself? Well, what would have happened to my family? What would have happened? These wonderful children that I have wouldn't be here. And the world would be a darker place as a result of that. And so I share that with you as I speak from my heart today. I, never, I didn't intend to have this conversation with you today. But if you're one of those people that is feeling that nobody loves you, I, I can assure you that you're wrong. I've shared this on my recovery podcast, and at some point I'll get back to that. I get so busy sometimes that something has to give, and a lot of times that's it. But I was so far away from where I needed to be in life that any step I took was in the right direction. And once I reached out, the hands that loved me weren't even at arm's length. When I made the motion to reach, they all grabbed me and helped pull me out of that pit. And there are people just like my family and just like my friends that are just waiting on you to do the same thing. They're just waiting on you to take the first step. And they're going to do their part to get you back on your feet. So I say that, I don't want to end on a somber note, but I want to make sure that um, maybe it's important to understand from whence we've come. I get so caught up sometimes, you know, I got, you know, a lot of people know me. There was a time when nobody really wanted to. But I have learned a new way to live, thanks to the, uh, the wonderful fellowship and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. But I can tell you this, I'm not a robot. And if you go into a recovery program, whether it be for chemical dependency or depression or whatever, if you go into that thinking that the program and the people are going to save you, you're wrong. The search party being formed to save you has already been disbanded. You're going to have to walk yourself out of the woods. The good thing is, is there have been people in front of you that have already paved that path. May you find it today. Until next time. Let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.